Trinity Baptist Church.
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The word of the Lord. Well, this morning we are wrapping up the seven-week series on joy, and I can't speak for you, but I will just speak for me. This has been a great series for me personally because it has, uh, it's reoriented my thinking and, and really made me understand that, that, that joy is something that I choose, that when I, when I think of God's grace in my life, that can do nothing but um, make me have a heart of gratitude, regardless of circumstances. And, and when, I, when I choose gratitude, then that breeds joy in my life. And the, and the premise, the overarching premise of this, um, of this series has really been on, on these three words that all come from the same Greek root word, and that is car, C-H-A-R, which has to do with health and well-being. And the first, um, the word grace is the Greek word charis. The word gratitude is the word eucharista. And, and the word joy is kara. And, and so when we, when we understand grace... It, it brings gratitude, which then translates into joy. Um, when, we, when we think of the countless ways that God pours his grace out on us, uh, the fact that he created us, the fact that he preserves us, the fact that he loved us, and as Matt sang, the, the fact that he redeemed us. Um, what else can you do but be grateful, Right? I mean, Karl Barth, the theologian, wrote this. He said, how can anything more or different be asked of man? The only answer to charis, grace, is eucharista, gratitude. Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. I love that. Gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. And as gratitude follows grace, so joy follows gratitude. For joy is the impact of the thunder of gratitude. This pattern is repeated throughout the scriptures. We see over and over how God does something wonderful for his people. And and then their response, their natural response, is that of joyful praise. What other kind of praise can there be but joyful? Can you praise somberly? Can you praise apathetically? Can you praise morosely? No, praise 
necessitates joy. And so the, the greater the grace, the greater the gratitude, the greater the gratitude, the greater the joy. And the promise of heaven that we looked at last week is a huge grace in our lives and a huge reason to be joyful. Heaven is our destiny with God through, through our faith in Jesus Christ. And when, what heaven means is that we will get to share in the glory of God. It means that God will share his glory with us. As Beth read just a moment ago from Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then a couple of verses later, it's, it says that as children of God, we have glorious freedom. Have you ever asked the question, I wonder what God's will is for me? Anybody ever wonder what the will of God is for you? You know, what is God's will for me with regard to my job? What is God's will for me with regard to where I go to school? What is God's will for me with regard to who I will marry? I mean, heck, I'll just take anybody, right? I mean, I just want to be married. Um, I mean, we, we, we think about God's will in, in these areas, and it's, those are not unimportant areas. But those things are not as important that we orient our lives around as the clear statements of Scripture as to what God's will is for our lives. And one of the clear statements of Scripture is right here, that God's will for us is that we experience glorious freedom. God wills for us to experience glorious freedom. Paul put it this way to the Galatians. In, in Galatians 5, 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You want to know what God's will for you is? Freedom. Christ wants you to enjoy freedom in Him. Where you go to school, what job you have, who you marry, those are not insignificant, but they are not nearly so crucial as to whether or not you stand firm in the freedom that you have in Christ. Paul goes on to say in Galatians, he says, Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And here in Galatians, the slavery he's referring to is, is legalism. That you somehow have to earn the favor of God. Ever feel that way? Ever feel that you aren't really free because if I'm going to please God, I've got to live this certain way. Ever feel like that? Ever feel bound? Um, most of you are probably aware that I was a liberal arts major in college, uh, specifically an English major. And for us liberal artists... Um, one of the requirements was that we have four semesters of a foreign language. Um, I'm not exactly sure why they wanted us to do that, but they did. And so I chose French because 
you know, French is kind of a romantic language, and I thought it might help me with the ladies. And so, um, anyway, so I chose French, but not being really inclined toward languages, I put it off and put it off. And um, so I had one French class left my second semester of my senior year. Now, how many of you remember your last semester as an undergrad? Right? If you can remember it at all. Um, you know, studies were way, way down on the list. And, and French was like last on the last of the list. Because it was spring in Texas, and I had softball teams to play on, and I had pools to lay beside, and I had, you know, golf courses to conquer, and... And, most significantly, I was engaged to the beautiful woman that would soon be my wife. And so I wanted to spend as much time with Deanne as I possibly could. So my studies were like way down on the list and French was way down there. But I knew that if I was going to graduate, I had to pass French. And so, much to my chagrin... I scheduled um, three afternoons a week to meet with a friend of mine who was almost fluent in, fluent in, in French. And she helped me parse verbs and, and memorize vocab and, and get the word orders just right um, because I had to do that if I was going to pass and graduate. Now, how do you think I would have spent my time differently if the registrar had come to me and said, Hey, Keith, we want you to learn French. But you know what? We've already printed your degree. It's already done. And so even though we want you to learn it, you know, if you don't pass, don't worry about it. You're already good. How do you think I would have spent my time? I would have played a lot more softball. I would have, you know, lowered my handicap, gotten a really good tan, and spent a lot of time with my wife-to-be. Doesn't that sound glorious? Doesn't that sound like real freedom? Paul says to the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But then you skip down to verse 13 and it says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. In other words, don't take the grace of God in your life for granted so that you can just do whatever the heck you want. See, that's not real freedom. He says, rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. In Romans 6, Paul says that we have been freed from the slavery of sin. In Galatians 5, it says that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Jesus said that know the truth and the truth will set you free. God's will for us is to be free, is to live in this glorious freedom that is driven by love. But what does that mean? What does it look like? Many of you have read C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. 
If you haven't, then I would um, highly recommend that you do. But the, um, the kind of the overview of it, it's about this senior demon named Screwtape um, mentoring one of, um, one of the up-and-coming demons named Wormwood. And he's trying to, to coach Wormwood in the ways to, to get people to compromise their faith and, and just to undermine them. Uh, and so one of the things that neither of them can comprehend and what so scandalizes and disgusts these devils in this book is God's love and good intentions for humanity. Here's what Screwtape writes to Wormwood. One must face the fact that all the talk about his love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not, as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life on a miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. See, what Lewis is saying is that God's love for us can overwhelm us. And as we abide in that love, we become more and more like him. And who is the most glorious, free creature or being in the universe? God is. And so the more we become like him, the more gloriously free we become. Think about God's grace for a minute. There are two dimensions to God's grace. On, on one level, he simply accepts us unconditionally. We profess faith in Christ and we become in Christ. Paul says in Romans 5.8, he said, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Ephesians 2.8, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. This dimension of God's grace is kind of like the registrar saying, um, uh, you know, don't worry about French. Um, regardless of what you do, nevertheless, you're going to graduate. The simple knowledge that you are loved and accepted by, by God, nevertheless, can break into your life and transform you. It can help you to become more of who he created you to be. Think of this on a, on a human level for a minute. Do you have people in your life that when you're around them, you just flourish I mean, aren't there people in your life that just bring out the best in you? And conversely, there are people in your life who bring out the worst in you. But when you're, when you're around those people, and I have people in my life that when I'm around them, I, I just become smarter and funnier and wiser because of who I am with them. 
My wife is a perfect example. You should see me with her. It's amazing. And, I, and let me just say that I, after 30 years of marriage, I am more and more convinced of how far I overmarried. Um, but even though my wife knows all of my faults, all of my shortcomings, nevertheless, she believes such wonderful fictions about me. She believes that I'm a wonderful husband and father and surprisingly funny and wise. And because she believes those things about me, when I'm with her, those things become nonfiction. You see, because of my wife's nevertheless, it frees me. God's love works that way on us. When we hear and believe the word of grace that he speaks to us, we are freed to become more glorious, more holy, more righteous. We are given the right, as John puts it in his gospel, to become children of God. We are given the power to act like him. A new identity in us produces new behavior. But there's another dimension of God's grace that I don't know that we think about that often. And that's his supernatural, and that is that his grace is a supernatural power that changes us. You see, his acceptance and forgiveness in Christ is a word that he speaks to us. And when God speaks a word, it is more than mere sound or thought. When God speaks a word, he is speaking He is creating a reality. When God says, let there be light, there's light. So when God says, you are forgiven, there is real forgiveness and transformation that takes place. You see, God loves us just as we are. But he loves us too much to let us stay as we are. His love is a holy love, a consuming fire, as Hebrews 12.9 says. And his command is, be holy just as I am holy. You see, God is holy and we are not. But as he speaks that grace into us, it gives us the power to realize that in our lives. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Problem of Pain. I've been reading a lot of Lewis lately. He says, to ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God cease to be God. Because he is what he is, his love must, in the nature of things, be impeded and repelled by certain stains in our present character. And because he already loves us, he must labor to make us lovable. We cannot even wish in our better moments that he should reconcile himself to our impurities. In other words, his love and his grace, while he saves us in our sin, he loves us too much to let us stay in our sin. He loves us so much that he wants to remove it all. To push the illustration 
He wants us to learn French. See, Jesus' goal is not just to get us to graduate. He wants us to be glorious. Not just so-so. In ways that we can only imagine, he desires that we become as brilliant and as luminescent in our humanness as he is in his godness. We see this throughout the New Testament, beginning with the words of Jesus when he says, The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The apostles say very similar things. Paul says in 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is Spirit. See, Paul's saying there is glorious freedom when you're living life with the Spirit. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says, he prays for the Ephesians that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, Paul says, just as God is glorious, he wants to share that glory with you. And it's not just for heaven, it's for the here and now. It's ever-increasing We can experience that glory now. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.4, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Peter says, you get to look like Him. John says, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Wow, just as Jesus is glorious, we can be glorious. God wants for us not just to pass, but to be glorious. He wants us to be gloriously free. One of the classic biblical texts on God's grace is in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, what what Paul is saying is that God's gracious acceptance of us is a gift, received through faith, pure and simple. But once received, His grace works in us as holy love. Um, God's grace doesn't just save us, but it is also the power to transform us into what He intended from the beginning, that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Augustine understood this grace when he prayed, give what you command and command whatever you want. Did you get that? Give what you command and command whatever you want. 
In other words, enable me to do what you want me to do and then tell me whatever it is you want me to do. Because you'll give me the ability to do that. That's the, that's the grace that was promised um, through Ezekiel. When, when God spoke and said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God is saying through Ezekiel, I'm going to... I'm going to empower you to live the fullness of life that I've designed life to be. And it's the thing that the, that the psalmist celebrates in Psalm 119 where he says, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. Friends, God desires for us are bigger and better than the best we can imagine for ourselves. He wants nothing less for us than glory, but we glom on to glory substitutes like softball and getting a tan and playing golf and hanging out with our fiance. Not necessarily sinful, but those things are not the throne that God has for us. They are not the glory that God has for us. Hopefully, as we've gone through this series, our standards have been raised and, and we are no longer satisfied with anything less than glory and joy inexpressible. What will it be like when we're glorious? I don't know. All I know is that Jesus said the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. What does that mean? I think that means that when we look at each other, we're going to have to squint. Because we will all be reflecting the glory of God. What scripture tells me is that when we see Jesus, we will be like him. We will be the radiance of God's glory. And even though we don't see it yet, it fills us, as Peter says, with an inexpressible and glorious joy because we know that we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation, the glorious freedom of our souls. This hope and its joy should change forever the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see others. It should change forever how we live our lives. Which brings me back to why I should learn French. Certainly there are some good reasons. Um, languages broaden your mind. They expand your communication capabilities. But those never motivated me in college. I studied for one reason and one reason only. To get my degree. And only the threat of not graduating kept me from spending time in other ways. Um, and today, I remember very little of the college, or the French that I learned in college, which I think was Paul's point about the law, because the law doesn't change us. So what would inspire me to learn French? I can think of one powerful incentive. If Deanne, the woman I was in love with, spoke only French. <laughs> 
right? I mean, I would have learned French in a heartbeat because I would have wanted to communicate avec mon petit chou, avec mon chéri amour, you know? I, I would have wanted to share the, the depth of my heart with the one that I love. And that would have been glorious. And I would have been living free as I was doing that. That would have been joy inexpressible. Friends, if you want to experience the glorious freedom that Jesus has for you and experience joy inexpressible, let the love of Jesus overwhelm you and make you more like himself. For the more you become like him, the more you will experience of him and the more gloriously joyful you will become. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are, we are grateful people this morning. We are grateful for your grace in our lives, the grace that you express in so many little and, and huge ways. Lord, we're grateful for the grace of our next breath and our next heartbeat. We're grateful for the grace of, of sunshine. And we're grateful for the grace of your love, your redemption. So Lord, I pray that regardless of life circumstance, we would live life in this glorious freedom that you created us for. That we would, that we would be inspired, that we would not just be inspired, but we would be transformed by your love. It is for freedom that you have set us free. But don't let us use that freedom as license. Let us use that freedom for love. And in that, we will experience the joy inexpressible that you've created us for. Lord, thank you. Amen.